Welcome to the Genealogy Happy Hour, a place where new family historians can learn to document their family histories and celebrate their new discoveries. I'm Amy. And I'm Penny. And we're here to help you discover your family tree from the beginning. Welcome to episode 25. We just realized that we've been doing this for about two years now. That's pretty pretty exciting and frightening (laughs) as well. Um, But this episode, we're going to talk about organizing and storing your family papers, documents, and archives. So I guess you be your own archive archivist. Be your own archivist, right. And this is important because we're we're so focused on research all the time Mm -hmm. that we just accumulate documents and documents, and we're so anxious to go get more documents. But we need to take care of those documents. Right. For ourselves and for our posterity. So we're going to talk a a little bit about how we do that, how we um, store and organize our own documents. And we have a wonderful interview with author Margot Note, who has written a book called Creating Family Archives. And she's going to talk, uh, give a lot of good tips on um, how to do it yourself. The book is great. It's, it's, it's small, so it's an easy read, mm-hmm. and it gets you right where you need to be to just jump right in and start um, tackling those piles and piles of documents. Again. Yeah. But first, Amy has found a great wine. We have a new wine. Um, when I was on my trip to Virginia, which I know we're all tired of caring about, um, I did <laughs> um, pick up at some of the local Virginia wines, uh, which I really had not been aware of. Um, the vineyards in Virginia, and uh, this particular wine is, was new to me. Um, it is what's it called, Penny? No, that's you. That's you. It's it's, it's yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's uh, it's like Rats- a Rexitella. Rex- <laughs> I don't know. We've listened. Yeah, we've listened to um, a few things online trying to say how to pronounce it, and we still don't. We get don't it. know. So it's going to be on our website. <laughs> um, it's actually a very old. Uh, grape. It dates back to um, 3000 BC, I think I read, and it's um, from the Republic of Georgia. So in um, you know Eastern, it's it's prevalent in in Russia and Eastern Europe, um, and it does grow here in the United States, uh, mostly on the East Coast, New York, Virginia, and North Carolina. So um, it's um, this is a white wine. It's a uniquely aromatic. Bright, crisp white wine recommended uh, to pair with um, fish, shellfish. I can see so, that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's it's really delightful. I yeah. really like it. it, it wasn't, no, I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. So, yeah. We're tasting it right now. Mm-hmm. And it, it is bright and crisp for sure. Yeah. It's a little acidic, yeah. but mm-hmm. really, really nice. Mm-hmm. So, And this comes from uh, Northgate Winery in Virginia. And we'll so. put a, a link to that up on our website. Yeah. All right. Okay. So, Penny, how do you organize your genealogy? Okay, so I think I'm fairly organized. Mm -hmm. I do have a basket full of stuff that Mm -hmm. still has to um, be put where it needs to be. But the way I do it, I do do it digitally and physically. Mm -hmm. So if I have a a document, um, let's say a marriage record, I scan it or take a picture of it, you know, depending on, uh, you know, if it's really shouldn't go through the scanner, but most of the things I put through the scanner. Then once it's on my computer, I will um, give it a name, uh, you know, Grandpa, Grandma and Grandpa Jones, marriage certificate, 
But in front of that, because it's a marriage certificate, I'm going to give it a number. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be an M, whatever number comes up next. If this is the very first one I did, it's going to be M1, marriage certificate for Bob and Mary Jones. Then I have, um, you know, I find somebody else's marriage certificate. That's going to be M2, marriage certificate of whoever. And is this for just this particular family line, or are your this numbers is for, overall your entire? They are over everybody. Okay, I, okay. It has no, the numbers are just so in your the order of fine stuff. Okay. Then what I do is I've got an Excel spreadsheet, and I have, um, I have all the categories I could possibly have. Like in marriage, I have marriage certificate, a marriage bond, um, an announcement, marriage announcement, you know, anything that would have to do with marriage. And those will all have an M whatever number associated with them. So on, the, on my Excel spreadsheet, on the left side that going down the page, I will have the people's names. So Bob mm-hmm. Jones would be like at the top. And then as you go across, you'll find marriage certificate. And in that box, I'm going to put M1. So when I, I'm, so everybody's is done like that. So Mary Jones will also have an M1 under her marriage um, certificate line. If they, all, if they have an announcement and that's the M2, mm-hmm. then under marriage announcement, I'll have M2. Mm-hmm. I then take the physical document and put a little sticky on it that says M1, and I put it in a um, archival plastic sleeve, and I put it in the marriage binder, and it would be the very first one. Or if it's M15, it's the fifteenth okay. one in there. So you, so you have a you have a binder by document type. Correct. Okay. Binder by document type. Mm-hmm. And then when I go to look for something, if I think, you know, I've got a, a ton of these, and especially the death certificates, I can't even tell you how many death certificates I have. But if I'm looking for my grandmother's death certificate, I just pull up that Excel sheet. I look for um, Lydia Schwiebert, which is my grandmother. I scroll across to death certificate. It'll say D15. So I can either go to my documents file in my computer and look for D15, and it'll pop right up, mm-hmm. or I can go to the death certificate binder the, where I keep the actual one mm-hmm. and just flip to page where the D15 is, the 15th one in, and mm-hmm. I've got it. The trick is being very consistent on when you find a document to stop what you're doing and log it in. Mm-hmm. And do that process because, as you know, and all all of us researchers, we're just finding these things, and we're like, "Ooh, yay!" Mm-hmm. And then we we keep researching, and before you know it, you've got a stack of fifteen or twenty documents, mm-hmm. and then it's a little daunting. But if you do it quickly while you find each one, um, you know, I think the process goes really well. Mm-hmm. But okay. like I said, I do have a basket that. Still needs to be gone through, but you know I'm pretty up to date. Right, right. How about you, Amy? What do you do? Well, I'm not that organized. <laughs> no, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and I do have a lot of stacks of documents to be processed. Okay. Uh, but I, I too digitize um, and then keep a hard copy as well. Um, I don't do it by document type. I do it by individual. So um, on my desktop uh, or on I use a Dropbox so everything's in Dropbox um, I will have the family name and then I'll have each individual in that family who I have documents for will have their own folder and then I have subfolders for each different type of document so everything related to their death everything related to their marriage everything related to their the census will all be within subfolders in that okay. so and then I keep a hard lateral file 
with copies of those documents, but it's by name. Okay, just so we have completely different systems. Completely different, yeah. But it's what works for me, and it's what works for you. Right. And um, I will put a um, a copy of my file. It might already be on the website, but if it's not, I'm gonna I'll put it up yeah. there, a mm-hmm. sample one. Yeah. So y'all can one see of the interesting things in the book that um, that uh, Margot wrote, and then we're gonna talk to Margot here in a few minutes, was. Um, about five years ago, my uh, my aunt died, and I inherited a lot of stuff from her. Yeah. And it wasn't just documents, but it was like um, an Irish lottery ticket that my grandfather mm-hmm. had um, had ac- uh, acquired someplace. Mm-hmm. Um, some postcards that my grandparents um, had gotten on their travels. Um, a love letter that my grandfather had written to my grandmother before they got married. Um, those types of things, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, so Margot's book has given me some inspiration on how I should um, maybe better preserve them. Yeah. I do have them in an archival box right now, so that's good, but they're kind of all jumbled up, right. and maybe if I put these things in chronological order, it might tell a story of my grandparents um, mm-hmm. in a different mm-hmm. way than the other documents that I already have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, tell so i think by putting those together and look at them in chronological order i'll be able to maybe write a a fuller more robust story about Mm -hmm. my grandparents than just the documents that i have now and also a way to label that box so other people that come up to that box will say oh the things in here are these years or this person or whatever she gives some really great tips on that as well the box isn't labeled at all right now that's great amy (laughs) (laughs) it's just with all the other boxes that aren't labeled (laughs) good luck to your heirs right okay Well, without further ado, let's get into the um, the interview, and I hope you all enjoy and learn some great things. And what's the name of the book again? The name of the book is Creating Family Archives Mm -hmm. by Margot Note. Okay. Hi, Margot, and thank you for joining us to talk about your new book, Creating Family Archives. Hi, thank you. Thank you for inviting me to talk about it. Oh, you're welcome. This is this is great because um, genealogists are, are notoriously, I think, bad at organizing and, and archiving. We, we love to do the research, mm-hmm. but um, we just end up with stacks and stacks and stacks of, of documents and, and family treasures, and, and it's very important to uh, recognize the need to preserve them and organize them and um, be able to find them when you're um, looking for them again. So uh, why did you write this book? So I wrote this book out of um, kind of a a personal reason. So I've been working as an archivist for over 10 years, and I had um, my husband's aunt, who I talk about in the preface of the book, she became what I call like the new matriarch. So in the family, her sisters had died, her mother had died, and she inherited all kind of the family history, um, family history items. So she's not a genealogist, but she's interested in family memories and family history. So she invited me over her house about um, this time last year, and she just had all the papers and photographs and all these family treasures um, arranged on her dining room table and the island in her kitchen, and it was really overwhelming. So, and I spent the afternoon with her to go over, you know, what she should keep, what she what she should arrange. And then I realized that I really needed um, to create a really fast and easy guide for people that are in the same um, situation as she is, where they care about organizing their 
their papers and their photographs, but there's not really anything out there that can kind of teach them to do it in an afternoon. And a lot of times I, I work as a consultant for organizations and individuals to do archives and records management projects. And a lot of times, you know, people either they you know they don't want to hire me because they feel you know it's only family archives they don't want to hire a consultant or they want to do it themselves so i wanted to give them something that was really easy to read um that they could um kind of take control of their archives and and get to work in, in organizing their materials well i have to say in reading your book i think you covered all of that really well and it was a a, a pretty quick read so uh, so you're not spending days and days you know going through a book and you get a lot of great tips in there and you know even things that I think I'm pretty well organized but you know after reading some of your suggestions I thought oh, I did not do that <laughs> so I've got a few things that um, that I can be working on as well so what type of supplies should a family historian use uh, to archive and preserve their family histories? What types of things should we keep on hand? Sure. So I think um, it all depends on the materials that you have, So, or, you know, what you're trying to preserve, because you want to basically take kind of a bird's eye inventory of the, of the papers and photographs and then find the materials that you need. So a lot of times it would be um, depending on what you have. So for uh, correspondence or kind of standard size documents, you would need things like paper sleeves, file folders, and document cases. Um, for photographs, you would need plastic sleeves or photo boxes and photo binders. And for scrapbooks and photo albums, sometimes you would need, um, you could either like wrap up the materials and, and non-acidic paper, or you can find um, drop spine boxes or book boxes to keep the material. So it all really depends on what you have. You want to make sure that everything you buy fits everything really nicely and nothing's being crushed or too oversized, mm -hmm. so that's being protected. And I always say there's a lot of um, there's a lot of great archives companies out there that are really accessible for people that are. I mean, primarily their markets are professional archivists, but I find that there's things that you can find on Amazon or on websites that are great for kind of um, family archivists. And a, a company that I find that I have found the most helpful that I have no affiliation with is Gaylord Archival, and they have a lot of. Um, educational materials for people that are thinking about, okay, what's the best um, materials that people that you need for your specific types of artifacts. And you really do need um, archival quality. I know um, acid-free and lignin-free for a lot of the um, like photographs when you're storing your photographs. And I know exactly, you yeah. You, yeah, you want to make sure that, and actually I noticed even at um, the container store, interestingly enough, has a whole section where you can look at things that are, are what they call, consider archival quality, which, you know, that kind of is kind of a meaningless word, but that's what it's talking to. It's acid-free, lignin-free. And so I, I found it really helpful if people are just wondering what these things look like, go to your local container store and go to, especially like the the photo 
organizing section and you'll see archival um, boxes and um, plastic um, envelopes. And then you get a real sense of what it looks like. Sometimes when you're looking at something in a catalog or online, you don't really know what it looks like, but then you can get a hands-on experience. And those materials are archival quality, so you can just you know figure out maybe I want a few boxes to play around with. That's and a great suggestion. Kind of try things out for size. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and especially when you said to see if things fit correctly, so just to actually see it rather than ordering it out of a catalog, you, you're not sure if it's really going to fit your needs. So that's a great suggestion mm-hmm. to go there. And what are the pros and cons of photo albums? I know it's like in the past, again, when I was growing up, we had those those magnetic oh, sheets don't want those. that are <laughs> horrib- horrid. horrible. <laughs> so are there, yeah. good, are there good photo albums now? And, and what should we be looking for? Sure. So it's, I have a, a post on my blog where I, I look through a magnetic photo album. So I grew up during the time, and it's funny, they're still being sold. I don't know if they're necessarily being called magnetic, but what we mean by magnetic, it has a kind of sticky adhesive right. that you stick the photographs in, mm-hmm. then you kind of have that plastic cover. And over time, that is just really bad for print photographs. Um, the adhesive is bad, it's acidic, and it just is creating, it's basically taking your most treasured memories, you're organizing them in a beautiful way, and then you're putting them in a container that's just going to make them decay. So um, there's a lot of different options that you can use. Um, So sometimes um, you, you, one thing is just to completely redo the album in a safe archival photo album. So you would never want to use glues or tapes to attach materials. You'd want to use those kind of classic photo corners, which are actually, you know, pretty beautiful pretty beautiful as a display. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have photographs that are in standard sizes, you can use, um, and this method is pretty cost effective, you can place the prints in um, polypropylene um, sheets that that, can, um, that are safe to keep the materials. Um, sometimes if you have an older album that you want to keep as is, it's just a matter of putting it in a buffered box and storing it flat and then you can put kind of um, if you have something like newsprint you can put you can do interleaving sheets um, that create a barrier for that acidic materials and the cheapest um, option and the most inexpensive is to just wrap it especially if it's a photo album that is not being looked at a lot you can just wrap it in buffered paper and store it flat so there's a lot of different options that you can do i always say um i'm in the process of i have a basically my um photo album like my baby photo album was in a magnetic album so i want to preserve and basically rehouse the whole material Mm -hmm. in another album so i went to um I went to Gaylord Archival online. I got um, a, a kind of a, an archival um, photo album that also has like a dust case that you can put it in. So it's like all once once you've arranged the album, you can just put it in this case, and you know, no dust or light or dirt will get in the album. And so that's a really precious memory for me. So that's worth it for me to completely rehouse it and, and arrange it. Um, but there are also a lot of um, cheaper alternatives that 
make things more stable. So you re- so you recreated the entire album. You you um, because you also talk in the book about keeping collections in their original order, and that's and that you can learn from how someone else has organized materials before you um, or the materials that you have inherited. And I think you give an example of grandmother's recipe collections and the importance of keeping things in their original order. Yeah, I thought that was a yeah. great story, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm glad, I'm glad, yeah, because I think in the book I was trying to get away from being too technical and using mm-hmm. too much of kind of the archives jargon. But that section I really had to talk about specific con- uh, concepts that were really important. So original order helps you get inside the creator's head. So in the example of the grandmother's recipes, you get a sense of who these people are by keeping the, maintaining the original order. Um, and you mentioned a great example with the baby album. So with recreating the baby album, I could you know, put my own original order onto the pictures, but I wanted to recreate it because I wanted to see, you know, it was created by my mother, and I wanted to see what she, you know, how she arranged things, the captions that she used, which are really important. And that's the way that you, it helps you get inside the person's head. It's also, um, and it gives you context for the materials. It, it also saves time because there's already a way that things have been that are just, the original order of the creator serves some type of purpose. So if something's alphabetical and you think it should be chronological, you could arrange it that way, but you would lose all that. You would waste time putting it in a new order, and you would lose that context. Right. Sure. It's, tell, it's, telling, yeah, it's telling a story, and you don't want to lose that story. Right. Right. So. Yeah, it's really important. In archives, we talk about, we don't necessarily think about things at the item level. We talk about things at the folder level. So what we mean is, like, how a group of materials have a context around the other materials, how they talk to each other and the information that you can glean from that. And that's really important. Mm -hmm. Sometimes with family archives, people are just throwing things in a box and there really is no, no order. Right. So you want, if you can figure out, you know, the creator's order, you want to keep it that way. Sometimes that means you might have to refile something, you know, something maybe was, you know, in the wrong year or in G and it should be H or something like that. But you basically want to see what materials, how the materials are as they are given to you and then keep that order as much as you can. Let's go for, let's let's change out of the photo saving Mm -hmm. thing. And so for beginner family archivists, the, the documents that they really need to keep, obviously, birth certificate, marriage certificates, death certificates, things like that. Um, how do you determine which items should be kept and which items should be tossed and you know are not really worth um, archiving? Yeah, so that's a great question. So um, there's a lot in the save and the skim um, categories, but I would I would start with what what you can feel good about trashing. So anything that's like a random newspaper clipping or a magazine article that doesn't really have, you know, sometimes you just are looking at materials and you're like, what is this? And it has no meaning. Um, bank statements sometimes, you know, you don't have to worry about that. Old insurance policies or travel brochures or any type of materials that don't really seem like they're meaningful. Sometimes it's nice to keep like ephemera, like if something's kind of a cute um, 
you know, I think of um, my father was in the Navy, and so he had these books of kind of these weird drink tickets that when he, they'd go into the port, I guess in Japan, they'd have these little boats that they would kind of throw over these kind of like little booklets of like drink tickets for the local area. It's, it's, it's fascinating. So that's the type of material that you would want to keep, like anything... Um, Anything that's kind of interesting you'd want to keep. Um, Things that you might want to take a look at and then decide later if you want to um, throw away. Or um, anything that's like a newsletter, like a church or club newsletter, you might skim for family information and then you you don't have to keep that. Um, Any type of canceled checks, unless it has to do with a specific um, buying like an heirloom Mm-hmm. You know, piece of furniture, for example. News okay. clippings, sometimes they're, you know, important, sometimes they're not. Um, and old calendars, um, sometimes they can give you a little bit of information, but you don't necessarily need them. And any type of receipts, unless they're kind of big purchases. I think too on um, some of these some of these things that you're mentioning that I agree should be I don't know why you would keep some of this stuff but uh, another thing you can do is just take a quick photograph of it with your phone or your camera and keep it digitally somewhere um, and then exactly. and then pitch it yeah yeah and so the things that you'd want to keep are um, some of the things that you mentioned like any type of vital records. Um, any type of announcements like a marriage or a baby or graduation or, you know, um, baptism. Um, any type of, like, school reports, school report cards or photographs. Military records are really important. So, you know, discharge paper, papers, letters, awards. Anything that's maybe um, that brings up a special memory like holiday cards or maybe, like, even, like, a... If you have like a Christmas card list, for example, that could be helpful. Mm, sure. Um, reci- recipes, address books, um, bank passport, um, passbooks, anything that obviously is genealogy related you want to keep, like family history charts and trees, um, correspondence, scrapbooks, um, autograph albums, you know, that people used to keep, photo albums journals and diaries, that's always important. Um, income tax returns can give you a lot of information. That's true. Um, and employment re- employment records. So one of the things I really treasure is that I have my grandfather's resume that I love where it talks about how he his hobbies are raising rabbits and he's the head of the Belgian circle, which is a kind of this uh, social group of, you know, Belgian Americans in Patterson, New Jersey. So looking at something like that is, is tells me so much about my grandfather just looking at an old resume. Oh, yeah, that's And that's fantastic. one of my treasures. Yeah. Love that. Love that. We have like one more question I think we have time for. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, so what kind of, do you have a system and... What do you, uh, do you save just physical, in, in a physical file, or do you save physical files and digitally, or is it a combination of both, or just all digital, or? Um, I keep a combination of both, so I haven't digitized anything, and I specifically, in my book, um, and I, you know, I can do digital. I have other books I've written about digitizing things. And my book, I specifically didn't talk about digitization because I just wanted it purely analog and, and it's so much, 
um, mm-hmm. easier to explain. And it's probably um, what most kind of, of the beginning archives. people are doing anyway. They're you know beginning archivist or family history people are are looking at stuff that they physically got. Yeah, and I always say, like, first things first and don't overwhelm people. So I have a mixture of a lot of my personal um, archives are digital, or basically what we call born digital. So there's no physical artifact. It's all digital, and it's on my computer with backups. Um, For my family history, it's all physical. Eventually, I'd like to – I have a – um, I have love letters that my grandfather wrote my grandmother leading uh, basically the six months leading up to when they got married in the 40s. So he was, you know, living, um, he was living um, away from her. She was in Patterson, New Jersey, and he was kind of in uh, a, a textile factory in Pennsylvania. So there's these beautiful love letters that he's written to her. So eventually I'd like to digitize those records and um, transcribe them and, and post them perhaps on my website. So that's like a project that I'm going to do later. But I had, with that material, I had arranged that um, in the order that it was. So it was chronological with envelopes. Um, so yeah, my, my, my family archives are physical and I arranged them um, in archives boxes, and now I'm doing the, um, I'm basically doing an inventory. So archivists always think about things, as I was saying, at the folder level, not at the item level. So I'm not necessarily going to be writing, you know, each, when I do the inventory, I'm not going to do just each letter. I might just say, you know, a range of letters from these years. And so that makes it a lot easier. And so sometimes when you kind of do that baseline inventory, then you can go back and do a deeper description of materials. But I always say, um, and sometimes people want, you know, technology solutions. I just say, just do a Word document. Just write what what the things are, you know, correspondence between, you know, this relative and this relative from 1942 to 1944, and just leave it at that. And then you can always go back and do a deeper arrangement of, of a deeper description of, of what you have. Yeah, that's a great tip. Yeah. Uh, now, you mentioned that you have a website and a blog. Um, how can people find you um, to get more information? Um, how can they find your books and get in touch sure. with you? So, sure. So um, my website is is my name, which is spelled M-A-R-G-O-T-N-O-T-E. So it's margonote.com backslash blog and I have a category called creating family archives so when I published this book I wanted to create a lot of robust material so it lives beyond the book so I post um, basically weekly blogs I talk about other archival subjects but I have devoted a lot of content um, towards the book so you can easily find the material there I have a Facebook group called creating family archives that people, you know, you can, uh, it's a closed group, but everyone's invited to participate, so you can join me there. And I'm doing Facebook Lives every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and I'm going through each chapter of the book and talking a little bit more about what I'm talking about. So this, so I've already done um, chapter one and chapter two, and then chapter three is this week, this coming week. And then you can buy the, um, the book is exclusively available on Amazon. So it's in, available on a print 
um, copy and an e-book. So I want to give people a lot of, um, and it's very affordable. I, I price it in a specific way because I want people just to get the book, read it, and get going with their archives. That's yeah. wonderful. Right. Yeah. And we'll have a link to the book on our website as well as um, to, to your website, too. Yes. So people can, can, can get find that. And we'll also put up some links to the places you suggested, like the Container Store and Gaylord Archival. Um, and to your website and Facebook and all that stuff. Well, I've got some great. Oh, great! Thank you. Yes, thank you so much, Margot. I've got some. Some you've made me think a little bit about some boxes that I still have to tackle. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the book was was uh, very well organized, easy to read, and just gives you a hands-on manual on yeah. um, being able to quickly start archiving um, your family history. Yeah. Thank you for awesome. being our guest. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Amy, I know that you're going to be using a lot of these tips and techniques to get through those boxes. I think I'm going to be jumping on the internet and looking at some Gaylord yep. container store <laughs> stuff yeah. today. You certainly <laughs> are. And I will put up the links to the Gaylord Archival and the container store, mm-hmm. um, as well as Margot's blog mm-hmm. and a link to her book yeah. on our website. And, so. of course, the delicious wine, which we've now gone through, I think, two glasses. Yeah. So thank you, Marco, for contacting us and joining us today on our podcast. And we hope everyone has been um, energized yeah. and uh, to encouraged piles. to start tackling those piles. Yes. Yeah. And if anyone has um, any suggestions for a topic that you'd like us to discuss, please send us a note either on our Facebook page or our email at genealogyhappyhour at gmail.com. Um, We would love to talk about what you want to hear. And until then, cheers. Thank you for listening. Please email us with any questions or comments at genealogyhappyhour at gmail.com. Visit our website, www.genealogyhappyhour.com, for additional resources, books, and wines. Don't forget to drink responsibly. And never drink around genealogical documents.